0: Welcome to First Miles Climate Heroes. I'm your host, Bruce Bratley, founder of recycling company First Mile. On this show, we meet and learn from the climate heroes who are building solutions right now to tackle climate change. Today's guest on Climate Heroes is Nigel Harvey, CEO of Ricolite, an electronics recycling company. But Nigel is also an active member of the environmental and social disobedience movement Extinction Rebellion, and it is in his capacity as an activist that he talks to us today. Nigel, welcome to Climate Heroes. I understand you have a family, you run a very successful business, and I have no doubt enjoy life fully, but you've been arrested, I believe, six times, and you are putting your ability to work, see your family, your freedom at risk with your work at Extinction Rebellion. Is it worth it? And is your activism working?
1: That's a really hard one, Bruce. I mean, I think when Extinction Rebellion burst on the scene back in 2019, we had a really big impact on people. And far more individuals are now really aware of the scale of the climate crisis, the threat of the climate crisis. Something like 70% of people think it's either concerning or very concerning. And so we've definitely moved that perception of the scale of the problem. But what we haven't yet seen is much in the way of material change from our government at the moment. And that's the sad bit because that's the place where we really need action. And so in some ways we're seeing activism becoming, you know, sort of more um, extreme. And I think that is in response to the failure of government to really tackle the issue.
0: So I think I want to come back to another listeners who want to know what it's like to be arrested, because probably most of the people on the on the uh, podcast haven't been arrested. But before we do that, just following on from fundamentally, I think what what you're trying to do is, is you're trying to move this thing called the Overton window. And I'm not sure whether you're trying to move it in one direction, or just trying to widen it up. Can you t- can you explain a little bit about what this sort of the Overton window is around the sort of um, at what sort of, if you like, acceptable political discourse and why that's so important?
1: Yes, I mean the Overton window is a sort of the range of policy ideas that are generally acceptable to most people at any given time. And if you look back fifty years or so uh, uh, ago or so, you would say that actually drink driving was generally considered acceptable. It's okay to go down the pub and then drive back home it is absolutely not now a huge proportion of people would say you shouldn't drink and drive and that it's right to uh, to legislate for it so th- there's been a, an Overton window change there and so what we're trying to do is to encourage or one of the things we're trying to do is for climate friendly policies to be more generally acceptable within the uh, within the public and that's because they recognise the scale of the problem that we are all facing, that humanity is facing, and how soon it's going to happen as well.
0: And do you think actually it's going to be something else that pushes us into or moves the Overton window? Because people always say to me, you know, what, what, what's the? Until recently, I, people used, I I've, I've changed my answer. People used to say to me, what's the thing that's going to, you know, what's the the climate shock that's going to get people to actually change their minds? I always used to say mass migration. Um, I think it's going to be a social force rather than a geophysical force it might simply be now the cost of living crisis and the fact that these two things are the size of the same coin and do you think that perhaps is is going to change the the view of of, of politicians or or the public more maybe than watching and worrying about um uh, david attenborough films
1: i think what's going to drive it is food actually and the price of food and you look at the uh, the the heat wave this year year in Europe, um, the hottest heat wave in 500 years, longest um, in Europe, had a significant impact on crop yields in Europe. In the UK as well, the drought has resulted in um, a a number of crop reductions. So the the potato harvest this year, they're smaller potatoes and there are less of them. And so the cost of potatoes is going to go up over the next few months. Take that. So that was the, the year in which we hit 40 degrees for the first time ever. When that becomes the norm within five to 10 years, and we routinely get uh, you know, still hotter temperatures, the impact on our food is going to be devastating. And in the UK, we import 55% of all the food that we need. And so one of the things that countries are gonna do, and, they, and India did this already this year, is they're gonna stop exporting food. So India is the, the world's fourth largest producer of wheat. They had a really, really bad um, uh, drought this year as well and heat wave, and they stopped exporting wheat because clearly you would, wouldn't you? You want to feed your own population with your own crops. And so we are particularly vulnerable given the the lack of, um, you know, the, 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 the amount of food that we're having to import. And there is a real possibility that within your and my lifetime, we will see food prices that are so high. Um, uh, and and food shortages that we have get, we start to get a breakdown in civil society because if you if you can't if you have to if you can't have a loaf of bread at any reasonable price ultimately you can, <laughs> and you've got to feed your family you know law and order breaks down you start sm- smashing the windows to get into Morrison's to grab a loaf of bread.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and 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 you know we've seen we've seen that in the not in the not too distant past with you know when there was thousands of um, coal miners who had uh, no no food and you know they, they were having to go to very extreme measures just to feed their families. So um, it's never far it's never far beneath the surface. And our, do Extinction Rebellion then um, campaign on specific? Well, I don't think they're a campaigning organization as much as a sort of civil disobedience organization. But are they, are they organized around particular problems such as food security or cost of living or uh, migration, or is it very much around the sort of um, climate emergency umbrella?
1: We don't claim to be experts, we're not a research organization. We have lots of you know <laughs> scientists who are part of uh, Extinction Rebellion, but we we are we're not trying to say that we have the answers to the climate crisis, what we're saying is that we want our government to actually recognise that there is a crisis and actually start taking the action that the scientists and their advisors are telling them is required. So we're, we're a pressure movement trying to drive change at government level because we think it's government that will really make the difference. There are so many policies that they could put in place that would, at a, the at a drop of a hat, flip us from being encouraged to do the wrong thing to be encouraged to do the right
0: thing and are you different Then is extinction rebellion different to an organization such as greenpeace which is sort of a very you know been around for 30 40 years and they're very much around lobbying the government. And I mean, I, knew that, I know they do direct action as well, and they do, they're do they an interesting organisation because they're doing direct activist and activism, but also research and lobbying the government. And is that Extinction Rebellion purely around the, using civil disobedience as a way to get change?
1: We're, we're more avowedly about using non-violent um, action as a way of driving change. But, uh, you know, I'm involved in Greenpeace and a member of Greenpeace. And I think some of the stuff they do is fantastic, like dropping those huge concrete blocks in marine protected areas to prevent trawlers from from trawling in areas where they shouldn't, when, you know, the government is failing to enforce uh, fishing laws correctly. So um, I think they're fantastic. We're, you know, I, I would say we're complementary in lots of ways. And you'll get a, a big proportion of people in XR are involved in organizations like Greenpeace.
0: And the three demands, I mean, it's quite often organisations big and small get their um, uh, mission statements confused, but it couldn't really be clearer for Extinction Rebellion, which is, and the first one is, I mean, all of them are massive, but the first one is just significant, which is tell the truth. And since we've had a lot of corporate interest in climate change in the last three to four years, there has been some, and I think some of it's Intentional and some of it's not intentional. Inefficiencies around truth and greenwashing. So I think tell the truth is really key there. Act now, which um, we'll come on to that one with sort of in in some ways inaction in from governments and then deciding together. And I think those three demands are really sort of um, significant, brilliantly simple, but a huge amount of, of of depth in them. Could you sort of maybe with the history of Extinction Rebellion sort of give us a bit of a flavour of those demands and and and, and what they mean to to you and why you joined the, the, the movement?
1: Yes, I mean, that first one, tell the truth, is simply because we are facing an existential crisis that could result in hundreds of millions of people dying. And yet, our politicians won't stand up and say that. And part of the problem is, is 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 the problem of of the short-termism within democracy is that a government's key objective the moment they're elected is to get themselves re-elected, and so what they're not interested in doing is tackling the long-term issues, uh, and, and telling the truth like that is actually not not particularly a vote winner because if you if you say look this is a this is a massive problem we're going to have to work on it together and we may have to change. What we what some of the things we have to do quite radically, that is something that that politicians hate doing, and so they don't tell us the real truth. We don't have a prime minister who's standing up and saying we are facing a crisis. We need to collectively do something about it. He was dragged kicking and screaming to (laughs) COP to COP twenty seven, wasn't he? I mean, let's face it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And do you think that that is? I mean, we obviously want it to change. It needs to change. But is there a risk that it'll never change until the emergency becomes so apparent and in the face of politicians that it's within their five-year tenure as 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 a elected party? Because in many ways, with COVID, there was research going on in the background with vaccines and sort of general generals coronavirus vaccines. But what we saw there was actually the, the the political machine could mobilize very quickly, but only when there's a problem staring them in the face. And then as soon as that goes away, it's very much around day to day issues that they, they don't seem to be able to face up to anything that's beyond a few months out unless it's, you know, and almost it's like it doesn't matter if it's really big in a few months out or really small in a few months. out. It's, it's almost like the time frame rather than the size of the task.
1: I think you're right. You know, we humans are very good at a fight or flight uh, response. You know, a, a, a tiger jumps out of the jungle and you fight it or you run and it's an immediate response and we're programmed to do that. We're not good at the boiling the frog issue and we are frogs being boiled at, at the moment. And so, uh, you, you know, your question was will governments, when will governments finally start taking action? Is is it when we've actually, we're actually seeing huge migration, we're seeing huge food shortages, and, and it may well be that there are gonna be some horrendous policy handbrake turns that are gonna have to happen. Um, the sooner the better, but with every month, with every year we leave it, we, we risk further catastrophic collapse in our climate, um, in terms of um, the potential deaths out there, the, you know, species extinctions, it's all coming our way unless we change quickly.
0: What do you think stopping fundamentally? Because you can sort of see in political discourse how the politicians will talk about the Overton, Overton window moving or think that it's stretching a little bit to get more of these issues. And to be honest, you know, we, we, the... Environmental issues are now in the political discourse, but the sort of moves on to the next demand of exile, which is acting now. So it's almost like, well, we're now getting. Previously, we got the the climate emergency was ignored. Now it's been discussed. <laughs> so arguably, it's in the discourse, but there's nothing happening. There's no action. And is that progress? That we're actually sort of it's a discourse now. And how do we move to getting some action?
1: I mean, yes, it's in the discourse, but I would say, in fact, the action is at the moment going backwards rather than forwards. Look what our current government is doing. Um, this week, they announced uh, that you know the first new coal mine in 30 years. Coal is the dirtiest of fossil fuels. That is just. Plain bonkers, particularly when something like 85 to 90% of all that coal is going to be exported outside of the UK. So the claim that somehow it's going to be used in the UK and therefore it's lower carbon footprint coal is just false. Look also what they're doing at the the, um, licensing up to 100 new oil and gas fields. They announced that about um, three or four months uh, ago. The International Energy Agency made it very clear to us that actually, if we're going to hit 1.5 degrees, and that's a really, really tough call now, but if we're going to hit 1.5 degrees, we cannot have any new oil and gas exploration. Our government, still during its presidency of COP26, did the exact opposite. A hundred new fields being, uh, being licensed.
0: Which brings us on nicely to Just Stop Oil, because they're very clear. They just do not want those licences to go through, which is a brilliantly simple um, action that the government... Actually, The government it's easy for the government. They don't need to do anything. It's not even like they have to do something. <laughs> they just need to not sign a piece of paper. Is our Just Stop Oil part of Extinction Rebellion? Are they a spin-out? Are they supported in the same way?
1: Uh, they're a separate organisation. I, I mean, I think they're probably largely composed, or at least started by... People who were involved in Extinction Rebellion, and in a sense, what we've got is is a, a range of organisations on the activist um, sort of <laughs> axis, from from Friends of the Earth at one end, through to Greenpeace, through to Extinction Rebellion, and then beyond Extinction Rebellion, you've got Just Stop Oil and Insulate Britain, who are who are e- even more activist than uh, than xr so um there are people involved in you know people involved in both xr and insulate britain and in and in just stop oil but they are separate organizations
0: and on that that's that's helpful and on on, on that sort of um axis of activism if you like do you think there's a a sweet spot where we are just aggravating the nation and switching people off versus a level of activism where it's an inconvenience to people um or to the nation and is that getting that sweet spot if you like is that is that important
1: i think it's a really good good point and it's a really tough one but then when you look back through history the suffragettes caused um significant destruction in their time and they were hated by the population martin luther king's 76 percent disapproval rating and um, look at the look at the strikes we're having this um at, at the moment the rail strikes, the postal strikes, are happening in a way that is going to inconvenience people the most. So the rail strikes, just, just before and after Christmas, it's going to mean that a lot of us don't get to see you know Uncle and Aunt, Uncle Mabel and Auntie Jeff,. You know. And disruption, inconvenience, drives change. In a way that sitting on the sitting on this on the side of the road or standing there with a with a placard just doesn't. Nobody listens to you. You don't hit the press. You don't get the the issue um, being discussed. So, just stop oil are, are certainly very radical, and they've and they've they've been. Enormously inconvenienced a lot a lot of people, but that has meant a lot a lot of spokespeople from from JSO have been on various media programmes explaining what they're asking for and making to me a, a very cogent argument for why the government should not be going ahead with those hundred new oil and gas licences.
0: And to refer to them, they uh, and they say this on a regular basis. They went and blockaded the um, oil terminals initially, and everyone ignored them because it was there was there's nobody there. Um, and so and it doesn't make a difference. So it it's certainly working. So moving on, then, because um, I'm really keen to hear your own personal story, Nigel. How you went from CEO of a recycling electronics recycling company um, to obviously still doing that, but to um activist and a member of extinction rebellion, what was your what was your story? And um yeah, tell us all.
1: To be honest, it was watching the David Attenborough documentary, Climate Change, the Facts, and there was a line in there. I still think about it and it almost brings tears to my ch- uh, eyes, but it chilled me to the bone. And he said, I'm paraphrasing slightly, that if we have not, the science tells us that if we have not taken dramatic action, Within the next ten years, we face the irreversible destruction of the natural world and the collapse of our societies and that phrase "collapse of our societies" is so shocking to me that actually it jolted me because prior to that, I'd spent more than a decade trying to reduce my carbon footprint, encouraging others to do it. you know we had competitions, how can we reduce our carbon footprint by by twenty percent or what yeah and I look back through that decade, and despite my efforts and lots of other people, yours, I'm sure, you know, countless other people, the emissions kept rising. And it was clear to me that that previous tiny incremental approach of individual change had diddly squat impact on carbon emissions. They just went up and up. So that was seeing that 2019 documentary from David Attenborough. And then hearing about Extinction Rebellion, for me it seemed so obvious that we, we have to use the tried and tuss, trusted methods of um, non-violent direct action to drive change because nothing else has worked. Nothing else has worked.
0: First Mile is the UK's leading waste management service. We help over 30,000 businesses reduce their carbon impact with our award-winning range of recycling solutions. Go to our website which is thefirstmile.co.uk to get started today. If you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to subscribe. We have brand new episodes every Wednesday. I mean if you're happy to talk about it, I mean you you arrested a number of times. I'm sure very unpleasant I mean what's sort of going through your mind at that point or is it very much this is this is this is definitely worth it and it's it, what needs what, what needs to be done
1: actually I, I, would, I would say there's a there's a sort of a peace that descends on me when I'm going to be arrested because I always choose to be arrested I choose the, the the site and I choose the the issue but I'm so convinced that this is a way of raising the profile of the climate crisis that I feel it you know, at peace and reasonably comfortable in that process. And and one of the reasons is because, you know, for a CEO to get arrested, for anyone to get arrested, actually it doesn't seem quite right. It's 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 very odd. And and and, and what it does is it says to people, well look, if if people are prepared to put themselves on the line in that way, then this must be really serious. And it's it's a way of I hope helping to bring through the serious nature of the horrendous situation that collectively we're all in now
0: and when you say you're you're you choose to be arrested is that because you don't you if you're sitting somewhere you refuse to move yes indeed
1: i mean the 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 police will ask you to move and they they have actually a sort of a, a, a policy that they don't always apply of of asking you in in five different ways please will you move, Uh, you know, which which gradually escalates, you know, is there anything I can say to get you to move? If I don't, if you don't move, I'm going to have to arrest you. And so at, at each one of those five points, you could know that you could just get up and walk away. And so if I choose not to get up and walk away, I know I'm about to be arrested and i and i normally prepare for that so you know leave i, I don't have my phone with me you know <laughs> just have a bit of money in my back pocket type of thing and you know
0: yeah absolutely well I, i've always wondered if you, how you choose to be arrested but we now know and have you had any sort of um i mean probably particularly the first time it happened because I, I remember it was all over the sort of recycling press as well um have you had any sort of problems with your board or raised eyebrows from your customers or was it generally being very supportive
1: generally, in fact, almost exclusively very supportive. Before I was arrested the first time, um, we had a board meeting about uh, a month beforehand. And I said, um, by the way, <laughs> I'm planning to be arrested next month. <laughs> and after they'd lifted their jaws off the, <laughs> off the table, and I explained why, to their enormous credit, they said, well, look, this is in line with Reca values. Go ahead. You know, I, I remain you know, hugely indebted to their support at that point, because I think it would have been a lot harder, a lot harder if they turned around to me and said, Nigel, if you do that, you're out. And they didn't. And, but you know, the converse is actually because because we are a recycling company, because we're working in the environmental space, I think it has helped to give us more authenticity. And the overwhelming, I know that the overwhelming proportion of our our customers have been supportive of what uh, what I've done, but also of what what the business is doing. And, and it's you know the business has actually grown in terms of membership um, since twenty nineteen uh, quite significantly. Not not because of what I've done, or, or even you know even partly because of what I've done, but because I think that um, our profile has been raised. Our, the the team are all passionate as well, and that collective team approach and our team commitment to green issues. has has shone through and, and my being rested has been a small part of that shining.
0: And it's back to this issue of telling the truth as well, and it gives you the the standard that you're willing to, you know, you're you're telling the truth in what you're in what you're doing. So, um, but that's good because boards don't like surprises. So it's very good you told them a month earlier that you were going to get arrested. <laughs>
1: and, and, I, and I usually do. I, I keep I keep them informed.
0: <laughs> and the, I mean, we're laughing now. There must be some humorous points having been arrested six times. There must be sort of. Um, some humour along the way is there a, or, or do, you, do you get a fast sort of check-in at the at the police station when when they have your details on uh, do you have a loyalty card
1: I, I, well i i did wonder about loyalty card and i, I did say to one um, one station i can't remember which one it was maybe Woolworth. i said oh this is the second time i've been here i'm gonna i'm gonna give you a good re- review on TripAdvisor." and brilliant <laughs> they, they they liked that and i also have to say that the um the food and the mattresses are better at Hart's police rather than the Met. But uh... <laughs> it could
0: be a it could be a sort of little uh, um, side column of the XR website. You could review the different uh, police authorities. <laughs> yes, indeed, uh, indeed. Very good. Um, well, I'm glad you got fed. That's that's key. Um, and how? What was the longest time you were in a um, from being arrested to walking out to the police station? I, been sort of- I think
1: probably about 20 hours they have to release you within 24 hours and so 20 hours and that that is quite a long time you know you and it's quite boring you're basically sat in a cell most of the time and that cell has a you know a one inch thick mattress on it you can have you can have food if you ask for it and and, and water and a, a tea or coffee but it's it's a Pretty solitary and um existence so you it's definitely i I would recommend bruce if you're going to be arrested bring take a book with you (laughs) they normally allow you to bring the book into the cell and that helps
0: so you can't ask for the newspapers no (laughs) (laughs) i just want to pick up a little bit on the i think there's two issues at play here is governments and corporations big corporations are really into and love blaming the individual and saying you know we all need to behave differently and then everything's going to be okay. But then if there's only one thing on choice, but it's different brands, then how are we going to behave differently? So um, I don't, I don't buy into this fact that you have to blame the individual for it, but I do think as individuals, we have more democratic power than we necessarily believe that we have or understand that we have, and we're not taught about democracy or even what our democratic rights are at school. Do you think there's an element for us to, you know, rise up using our sort of power to vote? We can vote for local in, local um, politicians. We can vote for in in general elections as well. Or do you think that's now too late for that as well? That now that entire system is is, is toxic and that and that's broken as well.
1: I mean, I'm I'm firmly committed to democracy, and I and I think actually a, a democratic society is absolutely fundamental. But the climate crisis is something that transcends democracy because it transcends that five-year election, re-election cycle. And therefore, and it's about the third demand of Extinction Rebellion as well, actually, the best way of really tackling this is to, and and it's been done in a number of countries where there are really difficult policy decisions to take, like abortion in, um, in the Republic of Ireland, for example. They use what's called citizens' assemblies, and they get a representative group of people from across the country, to you know, sit with experts over a period of weeks and even months who present to them the scale of the problem and the alternative solutions and then ask that group, what do, what do you recommend, what changes should we make? And that type of approach of longer term policy making is far more effective than simply choosing between Labour, Lib Dem or Conservative and so we need both we need both so we we still need to to have our, our our politicians elected but what we need is those politicians to be listening to that type of more deliberative democracy that would then feed into policies that could move into that Overton window and be acceptable and it might be things like a frequent flyer tax that to most people makes complete sense it's a no-brainer and yet no government has, has grasped that nettle yet
0: I just what's why? I mean, there's some things as you said earlier. It's just this sort of switch, and I think I think governments are, control something like forty-one percent of the GDP, and those decisions are made locally in in devolved governments and, and nationally as well. Infrastructure and service spend. but and it's just there's some as you said. There's just some really easy things, and what's what's in the mindset that's stopping it, stopping it changing?
1: I think it's fear of being called out and in particular fear of being called out by a fairly right-wing press and that there are some some of the mainstream media are are controlled by a relatively small group of billionaires who have got very clear interests and that drives the policies that those media are willing to support or not to support and so we 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 get situations that you, you get what could be sensible policy proposals that are actually really trashed by some of the press. And that, that is tragic because actually these policy proposals, I mean, we, you know, onshore wind is a good example, you know, and in fact that we have now got a, a, you know, a U-turn on onshore wind. But, but what, you know, why back in 2015 did David Cameron ban, effectively ban onshore wind when it's, um, it, you know, most of the population actually support onshore wind. They actually say this is, this is a good thing. Let's have it. You can just see that if you get energy from free, from the, um, from, from the wind, why should we be burning more? fossil fuels and yet there are interests that perhaps stop those from happening and and we get we get media that that seek to really damage green policies and even now uh, you know things like media like the daily telegraph can can be incredibly reactionary against green policies and incredibly damaging of green policies
0: yeah and if you could if you could wave your sort of magic wand what would the what would your sort of two or three big asks be? Like things that you could just change instantly by getting politicians to 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 move the dial.
1: I guess it would be it would be things that encourage us, make it easier for us to do the right thing, and harder and more painful to do the wrong thing. And so, um, making uh, travel is one is 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 one big area. So so making. Making it more expensive to fly simply by just taxing aviation fuel. it's bonkers that there's zero duty on aviation fuel, and yet there is huge duty on on, on other fuels. So, so tax aviation fuel and a frequent flyer tax, use those money, that, that, the money's raised to go into public transport that is convenient, cheaper, more accessible and more available to people. Um also start to do the same thing with, with private cars, because the reality is actually we can't. It, it's when moving to electric vehicles is not the solution. We actually need to move to you know, lock, stock and barrel towards public transport. So moving the window like that, that makes public transport just so much easier that why would you not do it? And makes other forms of transport that are so much more damaging, harder and more expensive that's just one example and there are lots of others in in food for example and your 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 house and heating
0: and i I'm, I'm pleased that you made the connection there with the it's sort of the, the canadians i think they they call it sort of tax and dividend which is linking back the revenue raised from dissuading it needs to go back into making the better choice better and not just sort of disappearing into um, the coffers of the tax office um, exactly
1: it's sort of like a, it's the stick and carrot and, and this, the stick becomes the carrot if you, say, if you see what I mean If that's not mixing metaphors
0: absolutely and there's something big happening with Extinction Rebellion next April April 2023 20, can you tell us a bit about what's happening now
1: what we're trying to do is to increase the number of people who are really taking action on the streets because it is a numbers game, at least in part. When when you're dealing in protest and dealing in, in non-violent direction action and trying to make a change, numbers really matter. And so what we're hoping to do is to mobilise at least 100,000 people on the streets of London on the 21st of april and 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 thereafter for a few days with the simple demand those those three demands tell the truth, act now get, get our politicians to listen because all those other other small individual approaches will not of their of on on themselves make a difference
0: and a hundred thousand people i mean round uh i think it sort of rounds the uh houses of parliament for several days i mean that is going to have that is going to be um uh, impressive and and make a significant impact hopefully
1: it, it will and and we need everybody to get involved and bruce i'd love to see you there <laughs> very happily bring a spare uh, extinction rebellion Excellent. Flag along. i'll be there I'd, I'd be honored to stand I'll be beside there. you fantastic thank you that is that is brilliant um and it, you know it's not it's not necessarily about getting arrested i mean within xr probably five to ten percent of people get arrested. For every person who get arrested, you need other people doing lots of other tasks as well, and all of those other tasks are just as important. Um, you know, from, from media and messaging, from planning, you know, from uh, websites, you know, a, a, a huge, a huge amount of work needed. Food and preparation on the day. Um, it all adds to a successful activity and the, the people who, get, um, who who get arrested may be the slightly higher profile ones, but they they're no more important than those who are doing all the other really helpful things that, that actually contribute to, to what would will hopefully be a success.
0: And is there a lot of communication before that? And obviously, you're you're coordinating with the uh, the police, etc. And it's not a surprise. But is there a lot of coordination to make sure that we're bringing the public on board with these things and on side with these things? Because you're going to cause significant disruption in central London. And you know, my business is in central London. Um, we're permanently used to disruption, so it's fine. I mean, we totally support it. But the um, there's lots of lots of businesses I suspect wouldn't, and individuals wouldn't. And and is there quite a lot of work around? explaining what's happening and why it's an inconvenience, or is it just a case of that's the output of the protest and we don't need to worry about that pre?
1: I'm not sure that we go in for a great deal of explaining to businesses exactly what's going to be going on, not least because we tend to be a bit fluid and flexible in our plans. We tend to respond respond rapidly to what the police are doing, and so you know, we have a phrase: "Be like water and just, just move around everywhere." Uh, and so, exactly where we end up is not always uh, is is not always certain, even to our even to ourselves.
0: Because uh, there is no sort of um, command and control, I don't think, in Extinction Rebellion.
1: Not at, not yeah. at all. And we we have sort of ten core principles. And the logic goes: is if you sign up to those ten core principles, and not sign up on the dotted line, we have no card membership or anything like that. But if if you agree with those ten principles, then you can act in in Extinction Rebellion's name. And as a result, you that's enormously empowering because I'm involved with Extinction Rebellion in you know in in the city I, I live in, St Albans, and we can we can do stuff that we want when we want in a way we want as long as we're aligned with those with those ten core principles and lo and behold, actually it works because it, it's aligned with what everyone else is doing. And so the messaging all is um, is is fairly aligned and similar, even though what gets done and where can be quite different.
0: I'm conscious that we've talked very much about, you know, what, what needs to be done and the change that we need to get, which is sort of in some ways quite negative, but positive with all of the action that Extinction Rebellion are doing. But if I just step back from that for a second and think about the good news, the things that are happening, what are the climate initiatives that are getting you excited next year or that have got you excited this year what's going what's going well
1: i mean there is a continued shift of public perception that the climate crisis is really serious and and the 40 degree temperature in the uk this year i think brought it home to uh, a lot of people i see i see growth in in, in people willing to, to go plant-based uh, rather than eating meat and dairy that are so much um, more in, environmentally damaging. Um, I see more people willing to, to travel by, by train rather than fly or by car. I was, I was at our, 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 our Recolite Christmas party just the other evening, and, and two people were exchanging stories of how they had traveled by train between Germany and the UK. And that's fantastic. And I really take my hat off to those two people. And they wouldn't have done it, but for the increasing recognition that we need to do things differently. And um, you know, it's not easy. Actually, travel travel by train can can be great, but there can be problems as uh, as well. So I think some perceptions and some there is some real change taking place at at individual level. And it's also good to have the have the onshore wind change at long last. That looks like it's coming through, uh, just a complete no brainer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then on the sort of bigger side of things, I mean, what needs to happen for Extinction Rebellion to disband? And not that they're sort of a an organisation that could disband them, but what would what would you what would take what would it take for them to shut down their website?
1: It's a good question. What does success look like? I guess success looks like a citizens' assembly, the like of which I talked about earlier on, coming up with a list of recommendations, and politicians implementing those into UK law. And actually, there's a way they could do that now. There's a bill called the Climate and Ecological Emergency Bill um, floating around in in the House of Commons. Implementing that and giving it teeth would, I think, to XR, be success.
0: On this show we're building a hall of fame for climate heroes and we always ask our wonderful guests to leave something in First Mile's Climate Heroes Hall of Fame. So what or who would it be?
1: I would put in the hall of fame the 30 to 40 climate activists that are currently sitting in jail. That are either in jail because they've been um, found guilty of something or they're being held on remand and a number of them are, are friends of mine. I think of a lady who's in who's in her late 60s, early 70s. She's profoundly deaf and she's being held on remand awaiting trial probably until May next year. These are the real climate heroes and I absolutely take my hat off to them because they have put their freedom on the line
0: to try to draw attention to the climate emergency. Brilliant. Well, our thoughts are with them for sure. And we also have a A little challenge or question here for you, which is um, we're constantly trying to get people to form new habits or change their behavior or do things differently. And it can be a tiny thing or it can be a big thing to help reduce our impact on the planet. What would you suggest people try to do to move, shift their habits away from something that's higher impact to lower impact or something perhaps that will engender change?
1: To me, and I've made lots of changes in my own in my own life. But you know the change I think makes the most difference. It's not about going plant-based or largely plant-based. It's not about changing your electricity supplier to one that is a hundred percent green. It's not even about you know not flying anymore. To me, the change that really makes the most difference is actually pressuring the government because the sad truth is all of those individual changes. And and whilst when we all make indiv- individual incremental changes, they they do make a difference. The, it's the government that can really, at the drop of a hat, drive change that is thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions times more effective than any one individual change that, that you and I can do. So yes, let's all do the right, do those right things because we all know them, and actually, a lot of them. Once you've done them, you actually quite you feel good about yourself. Um, but actually, it's driving the government, it's forcing the government, it's saying to the government, you have to listen to us because this is totally serious that's what will make the difference
0: completely agree with that is there a thing that people can do um i guess go and check out the extinction rebellion website and another sort of um organizations promoting the government or trying to get the government to change or is it something you can do go and talk to your local mp what's what's the practical steps
1: i would encourage people to look at the xr website there's a drop down list and there are there is an xr group somewhere near you Get involved with them and they will help you to start making your voice heard in a way that is hopefully effective. And they're a lovely bunch of people, by the way. (laughs) They are so caring and kind. I've I've really loved getting into community with them.
0: Brilliant. Excellent. Nigel, I think we'll leave it there. I mean, absolutely fantastic um, to learn more about your role at XR and indeed XR as well and what we need to do to shift. Politicians, And hopefully there's some politicians listening who will actually sit up and start to think they need to use the powers that they have um, more impactfully. So thank you so much for coming on Climate Heroes. You've been a great guest and a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Thank you very much, Bruce. I've really enjoyed the,
0: the, the discussion. I'm Bruce Bratley and you've been listening to First Miles Climate Heroes where we meet incredible people making an impact to tackle climate change. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and subscribe to the show. We have brand new episodes every Wednesday.